hardy annual. An annual is a plant that typically lives one year. Hardy means it survives cold temperatures. And in the book, it gives you what zones. It's hardy till. Um, People in the far north, they might not fall plant, but they can plant much earlier in the spring than they think that they can. So while you're chomping at the bit, waiting for warm weather to plant some zinnias and some sunflowers, hardy annuals are who you need to be starting in the dead of winter to plan out um, six to eight weeks before your last frost day. Wow. And it itches that scratch that a gardener has. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 621. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., Supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown, fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Well, we're continuing the 10-week celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Slow Flowers podcast. I launched the first ever podcast about flowers on July 23rd, 2013 with episode 100. That this audio storytelling project resonates with so many listeners, people like you who love local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and who are joining in the slow flowers movement as members, supporters, and allies, well, that just is so rewarding. We invite you to help us celebrate by sharing your stories of how the Slow Flowers podcast has been an inspiring companion to you over the years. Post or send us a video tagged hashtag Slow Flowers podcast, and we may feature you in our Slow Flowers social media feed. Check out our Instagram stories at Slow Flowers Society on Instagram, which we will run for the next 10 weeks. You could win one of two priceless prizes. We'll select two winners among eligible entrants. One will win a featured guest spot on a future episode of the Slow Flowers podcast. And a second winner will win a chance to co-host an upcoming monthly Slow Flowers member meetup. We'll post the details on social media for you to follow along and participate. Today is the second Encore episode as our decade-long retrospective to highlight one episode from each year of the past decade and bring the best of the Slow Flowers podcast to you. If you're a longtime listener, you might recognize these flower folks. If you're new to the Slow Flowers podcast, I'm excited to introduce you to them for the first time. 
Today, I'm happy to introduce you to Lisa Mason Ziegler, who first appeared in September 2014 in episode 159, and who also has been a return guest. And now, through her online educational platform, The Gardener's Workshop, Lisa is a Slow Flowers podcast sponsor. Here's a bit more about Lisa. What began as a small cut flower farm producing for local markets has grown into so much more. Lisa has become a leader in the cut flower growing industry, an author, an accomplished speaker, teacher, and owner of the Gardener's Workshop. It all began in 1988 because Lisa wanted to work in her garden as her career. At first, she sold her cut flowers to local florists and to Colonial Williamsburg. The business soon grew to include florists throughout the Hampton Roads region, supermarkets, farmers markets, and a members-only on-farm market and a bouquet drop-off subscription service. During this time, Lisa began giving programs to garden clubs, master gardeners, commercial growers, and other groups. What became apparent is that people were eager for her simplified organic gardening methods, and her greatest gift is sharing that information. The next natural step came when Lisa's self-published book, The Easy Cut Flower Garden, was uh, released in 2011. You'll hear us discuss that. And it was just a 100-page guide on how to grow and harvest a small home cutting garden. Her program travels began to spread from Texas to Oregon to New York City, and Lisa went on to become published with Cool Flowers in 2014. This is the book we're going to discuss in our Encore episode. That was followed by Vegetables Love Flowers, published by Cool Springs Press in 2018. In 2018, Lisa began creating online courses to share her programs and teachings. This style of teaching with its convenience, cost-effectiveness, and lifetime unlimited access has proven to be another wonderful teaching tool. In 2019, embracing this technology even further and building an amazing in-house support team has allowed Lisa to produce online courses for other instructors. Lisa's farm, known as the Gardener's Workshop, is still a small market flower farm, 100% outdoor field-grown flowers, and they operate the online garden shop. The online store sells the same seeds, tools, supplies, and seed starting equipment that Lisa uses, as well as signed copies of her books. Lisa's simple, instructive, and delightful gardening messages are reaching far beyond any expectations she ever had. Lisa has been a member of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers since 2001, and she has served as the Mid-Atlantic Regional Director from 2016 to 2020. She is also a member of the Garden Communicators International, as am I. And we should add, Lisa is a longtime member of Slow Flower Society. Let's jump right in and enjoy the encore of episode 159. I'm in a somewhat noisy restaurant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so you'll hear all kinds of glass and silver and voices clicking, but I want to welcome today's guest, Lisa Mason Ziegler. Lisa is the owner of the Gardener's Workshop in Newport News, Virginia, which is a cut flower farm and more, and she's also the author of the upcoming book, Cool Flowers, which will be published in September by St. Lens Press, and full disclosure, they're my publisher too. So we're sisters. (laughs) So, Lisa, I I bought your self-published book on growing a cutting garden, which I can't remember the exact title. The Easy Cut Flower Garden. Okay. And that is still available on your website. Yes. And your website is, um, is it shoptgw.com? Correct. Okay. And we'll put a link to that on my show notes. Um, But 
It's great to meet in person. Yes. And finally, uh, finally to have a face to yeah, go with a voice. And talk about flowers and more. So you tell me about starting your cut flower career. You just sort of hinted at it a few minutes sure, ago. Sure, sure. And the full disclosure is in the book. I tell the story of um, how this all began. And it, as for many flower farmers, I read the book. The Flower Farmer by Lynn Bezinski. Of course, the Bible. And, and exactly. And um, I was in a position in life that I had just gotten married to a guy that just so happened to come with a piece of land that was um, a great big garden. And so the doors opened and I just stormed through and followed what she said and read a couple other books and was a success from the beginning. And my dilemma was that I read the book during the summer And it was fall when I had decided to charge forward, and I thought, what do I plant in the fall? And that's what started my journey um, to planting hardy annuals, because Lynn's book mentioned that there are some you can plant in the fall, such as snapdragons and some others. And so I did it, and with an innocent, just (laughs) dumb luck, (laughs) the book said it would work, so I trusted that, and it was a huge success. And that began my flower farming career and um, my journey on hardy annuals, and I've just expanded it. Um, I, my farm is an urban farm. I'm in the middle of the city, and I do not have hoop houses. Everything grows outside in the field. We wow. are we follow organic practices, so we do whatever it takes to have the earliest blooms we can. And um, hardy annuals are the ticket for early blooms for cut flowers and for a home garden. So your audience for Cool Flowers, your new book, is both the home gardener and person who wants to grow commercially, or is that well, kind of... Yeah, well, it's actually targeted for home gardeners, but all the practices, I mean, you can apply it to your your cut flower farm. Um, So it takes you through 30 of my favorite hardy annuals, um, how to start from seed, which is such a quandary for so many folks, because you will not find normally hardy annuals available at your garden center at the proper time to plant when it's cool outside. So you have to start from seed, and it's really simple. This is a completely alien concept for me. Um, Because obviously I'm looking at the cover of the book and there are snapdragons on that. And I've never grown snapdragons from seed. I've always bought them in a six pack or something and not usually in the fall. So um, what, how do you define a hardy annual? A hardy annual, an annual is a plant that typically lives one year. Hardy means it survives cold temperatures. Okay. Um, And in the book, it gives you what zones it's hardy till. Um, people in the far north, um, people that are up in you know Chicago and those places, they might not fall plant, but they can plant much earlier in the spring than they think that they okay. can. So while you're chomping at the bit, waiting for warm weather to plant some zinnias and some sunflowers, hardy annuals are who you need to be starting in the dead of winter to plant out um, six to eight weeks before your last frost day. Wow. And it fills, it itches that scratch that a gardener has. Um, and I'm telling you, it's just tremendous. And that allows the hardy annuals to get established during their prime time when it's cool outside, which builds a great root system, which gives them what they need to charge into early spring and summer. Um, we have snapdragons. I'm in Virginia. We have hot and humid summers. Our fall planted snaps are still blooming in August, and we mow them because we're tired of snapdragons. Wow. So, if they and that be- is not what you expect from an annual. No, not from a hardy annual. Right. They too typically peter out as soon as the warmth comes, but they're so well established. So we grow sweet peas like weeds. So in Bells of Ireland, which is perhaps one of the most beloved 
ooh-ah flowers. So simple to grow when wow. you plant it. It's all about timing. Wow. It's all about timing. Well, you said you were in Virginia. Um, what is your zone, roughly? I'm seven. Okay. And I'm along southeastern Virginia. Um, this past winter, which was the coldest on record for a long time since I've been farming, we were down in single digits for multiple wow. nights. I thought for sure, here, I finally write the book, and the <laughs> whole garden's going to die. <laughs> and so, I'm going to have to eat my words. And it was snow. Cold, raining, wet, cold winter, and I finally just gave up and stopped going out there and looking. And we lost virtually less than 10% of our plants. Wow. It was amazing. I mean, even the Bells of Ireland and Sweet Peas, we had four degrees for four nights. It was really amazing. So, And this is all in the field? Out in the field. Wow. Yeah, we do use row cover, uh-huh. mainly for deer protection and wind, not so much for temperatures. Right. And it did a great job. We were so pleased. So um, our Newport News is sort of a, a maritime moderate as well. You're near the ocean, right? Correct. We're okay. on the peninsula. We're right okay. below Williamsburg um, on the way to Virginia Beach. So. Okay. Okay, so that's like Seattle. I mean, I'm right by the yeah. Pacific, you know, the, not the ocean, but the Puget Sound, which is sort of right. like that moderate. Yeah, I'm between the Warwick River and the York River, yeah. How many acres is it that you're growing on? Um, my whole property is a little less than three acres. I have an acre and a quarter in working cutting garden, but typically two-thirds in production at any one given time. And we produce about 10,000 stems a week in high season. Um, that we're, is or, crazy. Yeah, well, it's we're organic, and we focus on feeding our soil with organic matter, and um, we just That's push fabulous. out the flowers. Well, okay, so when did you, you said you married the man so, with the land, thank yeah. goodness. He <laughs> needs a ring and when you get land. And he's good looking too, a boot. <laughs> and he came with dump trucks and a tiller. So <laughs> it was a, a given. So, <laughs> so you, oh, how long ago was that? Or how long Nin- have you? We were, we were married in 1996, and I began my business in the fall of 1997. I planted my first fall garden in 98. Sorry, it was 1998 in the fall, and then sold those flowers the following spring. Wow. And so you are really a seasoned flower farmer. I mean, there's so many people coming up now who are just trying to get into the business. You've done this 15 years. I've made all the mistakes. Okay, and you're going to share them with uh, people in your Cool Flowers book. What, um, when you started, what was your goal for selling? Um, Was it at a farmer's market, or how did you sell? I did exactly what Lynn's book told me to do. I'm quite a rule follower to to a... problem sometimes. But she said to go figure out where you were going to sell and go scope it out. So the first florist I chose was what she said, an upscale, high volume. And it happened to be a garden center that had a flower shop. So all winter, I went in there and pushed a shopping cart around, scoping out the flower department, looking at what they're buying, how it's packaged, you know, who's here. And um, so that was who I put. It was really I hope quite, that wasn't an expensive experiment. No, you shop I, every no, time. No, I, I didn't. And it was, it was good. And um, it really worked out really, really well. And, I mean, just a cute, funny little story. So I had planted my first fall hardy annual garden was Indian summer rudbeckia, sweet peas, um, snapdragons, and a sweet William called Gypsy that I had bought the plugs from somebody. And um, so they were blooming. And it came spring, and every day Steve would say to me, are you taking your flowers down to the florist now? And I'd say I had all kinds of excuses. But in truth, I was just terrified. I thought, why would they want my flowers? I was embarrassed. I was scared to go down there. And finally, his words of wisdom were, 
just go down there and offer them your flowers. And if they don't want them or they say no, we'll just never shop there again. <laughs> and that just gave me the confidence. So I didn't even have a truck then. We just, I used to drive in a car. I just put my buckets in the back seat of the car. Oh, I had sweet peas. A little bucket of fragrant sweet peas and a big old bucket of mop head hydrangeas. And went down there and the buyer happened to be there. And he just took me under his wing and um, told me, what wholesale prices were, how I should package, because he wanted me to be successful. Wow, wow. And that he was shared a some generous yes. secrets. Yes, and he took me under his wing, and I sold to them exclusively the first year, and then I expanded, and he gave me people to go to. and um, That's so neat. It was, he was I mean, your, your pay-it-forward yes, guy. Yes, he really was. And um, Had so, they been buying local flowers before you came no, along? No, but he was, I mean, he was a very um, experienced floral designer, and he knew, I mean, I went into some shops after that. They didn't even know what a sweet pea was. Wow. Do you know what I mean? They weren't familiar with they local flowers. They were used flowers. to just the generic. Right. Yeah. And so he was very familiar, and um, I don't know whether I'd have succeeded had he not been so welcoming. Absolutely. So it's so important to really, you know, take people under your wing, whether you have time or not. Because, I mean, there's nobody busier than those of us that are self-employed. Right. But you have to spread the wealth of knowledge. And um, that's why I feel so driven to share. Yeah. You um, are an educator. All. And um, even home gardeners. I mean, they just think we, they think people that grow flowers have a magic pot at home that they sprinkle on the garden at night. And it's really very simple when you just follow some basic guidelines and rules. And um, So Lisa, after that, I mean, you, it sounds like one of, one of Lynn's and have a, have a bite of your muffin there and uh, or your, your bread <laughs> while I'm talking, because I'm, I'm snacking while we're talking here. It's pre-dinner. Um, okay. After you did this, this first couple years selling wholesale, and it sounds like Lynn's advice was really to, to yes. wholesale is the way to go. Well, that was just one of the markets. Okay. That's the one I focused on because I was terrified to make bouquets. So I didn't want to even think about a farmer's market. And there were no farmer's markets in our region at that time. Okay. None. Okay. <laughs> So you really had you you yeah. really had that was your obvious channel, right? And then that has now fast forward that has expanded to this very mature business with you've got some distinct channels that you're selling. Sure, through. can you talk about yeah. where you are now? Sure. Well, we did. Um, so in 1998, for two years, three years, I sold strictly wholesale um, to florist and to Colonial Williamsburg has been our customer um, since 2000. Yeah, and what does that mean? Because I've been to Colonial Williamsburg. Do you sell? They have an through- enormous floral studio where you don't go in and order flowers, but they make the arrangements um, for all their, um, their hotels and okay. properties and all the banquet halls and things. And um, so, and they of course appreciate local and Virginia grown and they're just, we have a great relationship. Um, so I sold to them. And then in 2001, the Williamsburg farmer's market came to Merchant Square on Duke of Gloucester street. And I was asked to be the flower vendor. So I did. And that was a wonderful market, which is still going strong. It's one of the strongest. Um, and we did that for four years and it was a great market, but I started to expand my business out in other areas and knew I could not do it all. So we pulled back from Williamsburg, and I knew once I was out, I would never get back in because there was a long line behind me of farmers that wanted to get in that market. Uh, of flower farmers? Yes. Oh, so you, you kind of broke the ice and got, got that mark, that category established. Right. And um, Was it a tough decision? Yes, because I actually expanded this online garden shop retail. Yeah, I want to corner, talk about that. Um, and that was a, a tangent to the right. And um, so then once I got that kind of under my belt, 
I missed growing so much. I didn't realize how much we still grew, but not on that scale. Right, because the, the, a farmer's market can gobble up a lot of volume. A lot of, lot of volume. And so we started growing more again, and I got happier. And um, so then we started expanding again. More florists going out. I go to reach beyond um, Newport News and Williamsburg, and we go over into Southside. And um, it's a lot of flowers. And we then rejoined another local farmer's market, which was never quite as strong as the one that we had been at before. And then, I mean, everybody does farmer's markets knows you're at the mercy of the weather. And just, you know, we'd have to compost yeah. everything you bring home. You sit out there in the smoldering heat. And um, so I did that for 14 years. We did farmer's markets wow. with that hiatus in the middle there when right. we weren't doing it. And then um, I went to, and this is why every flower farmer listening to this needs to come to conferences. I went to Oklahoma, and no, I couldn't really afford to go, but I went anyway. To Garden and, Writers? No, oh, to oh, Flower... ASCFG. As, yes, the Cut in, Flower Growers Conference in, in Oklahoma. Tulsa. Yes. To I vi- was there. 2010? Yeah. Yes. We were there at the same time, and we yes, never met. I know, and Pam Arnowski, rock star that she is, and I just chatted up, and she said, you're in the city, aren't you? Yes. What grocery stores are you selling to? I said, I don't sell to grocery stores. She said, come over here and let me talk to you. Wow. And really kind of told me about approaching that. And they had been doing it for several years. Very right. successful. Te- Texas Specialty Cut Flowers. Yes. I came home, happened to stop in the local upscale fresh market to get a fruit tray to go to a party. And I thought, I'm just going to stop in the flower department. And who is straightening the cards but the manager of that department? And I just said, do you buy local? And she said, oh, yes, we'd love to buy local. And that was just a marriage made wow. in heaven. So we now sell to Fresh Markets and to Harris Teeters. And I do um, several of each of their stores. And, you know, people... So they're like regional chains or... Yeah, they are regional okay. chains. And I do select stores that are on my driving path. I try to keep them together. And um, we sell, yes, for a smidgen less than we got at the farmer's market, about 25% less. But we have weekly orders from multiple stores. Week after week, we make our bouquets at home in the air conditioning, put them into our truck, sold, deliver them, and... um, None of this sort of... Like waiting for eight, six hours at the farmer's market and, and coming home with $300 and, in your pocket. And, you know, I'm getting kind of old. My well, elbows are tired of putting up tents and dragging. But, I mean, it's everything's it's a lot of work. Yeah. It is a very physical job. And by the time we started taking somebody with us to the market. And paying them. And paying them and paying everything else that goes along with it. When you sit down and do the math, it comes. And I no longer work Saturdays. This is really important. I've heard this from Arita Anders at Cuts yep. of Color in uh, Weimar, Texas. Yes. Good she friend of loved mine. She loved her farmer's market customers. Oh, I customers. love my people. I love the people. And they all go to farm. We have a sticker that's made that's on our bouquet. It says, Grown in Newport News. So everybody knows. Um, and they, the grocery stores let you have that sticker on your... We put our sticker okay. on it, yes. And um, so, yeah, we, we miss our people. But I do not miss, I mean... Yeah, you can be you so, got your can, life back. I mean, you get to those farming duties that you don't get to Monday and Friday. You know, sometimes I'll go out and do a job on the farm that would have never been done before. Of, it would have just been Saturday. let go. Yeah, yeah, you would have been let go. So I'm making more, creating more income, 
being more efficient, having more home time or whatever time. Right. And um, it's so, really yeah. powerful to hear that. And thank the, you for the, being so honest about well, that. Well, yeah. I mean, what's there to hide? And the other thing is that when I first approached them, you know, you have to sign a 90 page contract when you go to a grocery store because they got all kinds of problems. They've had every kind of problem in the world and they have to be covered. They require you excuse me, you to have liability insurance, but they a little bit more than what you normally have. And um, I actually negotiated with them when they told me what they wanted me to have. And I went to my insurance man. He said, sure, we can give that to you, but it's like two grand more a year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm, Is this I don't necessary? think I'm going to sell that many flowers to them. And I went back and they were very open to negotiating um, a lower requirement in the light that I were a small local grower. Right. You're not so like don't some be giant packer. Because I'm the one, you know, I'm that rule follower. Typically, I would not challenge a rule and ask. But what's it hurt to ask is what I've learned from that. And that really allowed me to continue my policy at almost what it was and, you know, feel there. And I understand why they, because, you know, the first time I ever delivered to a grocery store, the cart almost got away from me and hit one of their customers' cars. That's why you have to have insurance. Wow. Because they're liable for your actions. The worst thing that can happen probably will happen at some point. Yes. Okay. Yes. So how, are you doing straight bunches or are you doing mixed bouquets? We do both. We so the woman start- who didn't want to do floral design is now doing floral design. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Design, design mixed bouquets. We are some mean bouquet-making machines, let me tell you. When I think back of how we were making bouquets just three years ago, I think, oh, my goodness, we certainly made no money doing it that way. Um, again, Pamela's suggestions, and um, my sister and I do it. My sister works with me, and she's the bouquet queen. She is quite a beautiful, um, has that artsy mm-hmm. eye designer, and she's always been the bouquet maker. Well, we first started out laying out 10 bouquets on a table and then picking up stems one at a time from that bunch you just made and arranging them. Well, then one day we realized, you know, I bet if we stacked them on the table— how they needed to be laid them. We just paid a little more attention to how we stacked them. We could pick the whole bunch up. And pretty much have it done. And have it done and snappity snap. Well, we now lay out 30 bouquets at a time. Of course, Michael So you have ja- your recipe. Yes, we have our recipe. And of course, the biggest part of the recipe is Michael Jackson playing in the background, which keeps things moving. And we Great. lay out 30 at a time. And we can make about 45 to 50 bouquets an hour easily. Um, just by when you have that. when the flowers are prepared, meaning stripped properly, and you have enough of them, and the real secret we've had um, the last eighteen months is we we learned in Oklahoma also we now follow that same rule Vicky does. We plant a thousand sunflowers a week because that safeguards us of having enough flowers for our bouquets. You can always add another sunflower or two if you're running short of other flowers. And it'll wow the the customer. Exactly. And it's taken away more than once. I was out in the field scouring for more flowers to finish our bouquet orders. Wow. You know, that having that, you know, trigger pulled and, you know, worry, and that no longer happens. And our florists buy tons of sunflowers, too, so it really sure. works out. And so, Anna, do you only do one size for the grocery stores? One size bouquet? We do one size mixed bouquet. Um, we don't really say on our invoice how many stems are in it. I used to. But now but you want to have some well, flexibility. We have flexibility because when we're putting big coxcomb and big sunflowers in it, we're not putting as many stems. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we do one normal, I tell people it's a soccer ball head. You know, it's about that. It's the same size as a grocery That's store. That's crazy. That's about that big. Yeah. 
So that's a medium size. Um, and then we do straight bunches, and that's three to five stems, okay. depending on what it is and how big the Well, then they get is. different price points, too. No, it's all pretty much the same. Oh. For instance, Coxcomb right now is huge. They get three huge ones okay. or five smaller ones. Okay. So, again, we're, but we, I, we always, the girls sometimes are concerned. I say, look at the sleeve. Is that a value? If you were asked to pay X number of dollars, whatever they charge at the store for that, would you feel like that's a good value? You know, that's we we need it to be a value for our customer right. and their customer. Right. Um, and so anyway, so we yeah. do mixed bunches. It's really interesting. Some grocery stores take only mixed bunches, and some only take straight bunches. You can tell where the flower arranging regions are. They know who their customer yeah. is. Yeah. 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 So that's um, that's so you have the wholesale to florists. The grocery store channel, are those your two main channels of flower sales? And then we do a garden share program to our local garden, well, flower lovers. Yeah, like a CSA. Um, It's the only way. It's a CSA, but I do it in um, a little bit different. They don't have to come every week, and they buy them in $100 increments. They get a little like a gift card, basically, to sell, and that invites them to the farm. We are not open for anybody else. It's quite a who's who, and it's a real, um, I give away tons of garden shares at local charity auctions and that's the people those are the people that you know want flowers so they'll bid on that oh yeah i mean i give away 10 or 15 shares a year to local charities because they and it always brings in you know new customers and um so what is the season like from may to um, august mid-april until a hurricane or frost which is mid-november for us however that's a big season um we and we talk i talk about some cool flowers we trick a lot we plant a lot of hardy annuals in the dead of summer when they're not happy. But as the season cools off and fall, they come on and bloom. Kind of wake and, up. and they will bloom beyond our frost. So we can typically have Sweet William in the field and snaps up until Thanksgiving. So It's so interesting. It's like a a, a different, like an altered thinking well, the way you're doing that. Well, it's a whole new season. And, you know, that's when people, as, as a commercial person, more people want flowers in spring and fall than they do in the summer. Right. So, so you want to have those shoulder seasons And for populated. those of us that don't have hoop houses, and even those of us that do, this is a way to use field space to, to create more income and... Um, and for the home gardener, um, here in Virginia, we have Historic Garden Week put on by Garden Club of Virginia, and it's typically mid to late April. Well, what's the perfect flowers to be blooming in those homes? And for all those flower, the flower arranging is huge on these events. It's hardy annuals. So, oh, I have so many other things I want to ask you about. One is I'm looking at your business card, and I'm seeing the Gardener's Workshop, and This is your online garden shop, which is the second channel of your business besides the Cut Flower Farm. How did this come about? Um, Well, that happened in 2005. um, That Williamsburg Farmer's Market I told you about. Um, We were producing so many flowers, and back then I didn't have any help on the farm. I had help at the market, and I just about killed myself being burnt out. And when you're burnt... You start thinking of other avenues sure. that appear easier from the side <laughs> of the fence. And so I had, you know, because I had been lecturing already at that point. People were asking you to come So talk. I was coming mm-hmm. and talking, and they always wanted to know where do I get that tool, you're, the, the hoe you're talking about, or where can I get those snapdragon seeds or that, you know, that zinnia mm-hmm. seed you're talking about. And so I had an epiphany and said, we'll start 
a, a business and we'll sell those things that we use. And um, so, in fact, short story, I actually launched the company as a direct sales company, Home Parties. Oh, really? I did in 05. So that's what really pushed me to move out of downsizing my garden. And um, for two years, we were a direct sales company. I had salespeople in many states. And then I got cancer, got breast cancer. Oh, my gosh. And when you're laying on the couch recovering, it was fine. I was in early detection. Mine was just a brief hiccup compared to what most women go through. But when you're laying on the couch recovering from that, I had an epiphany of what I have turned from a farmer gardener to a sales leader. (laughs) And I did not like that job at all. So I wrote Dear John letters to our girls that were selling for us and um, gave them six months. And um, then we went to being just an online store. So our line of products, we've developed a line and it's basically the things that we use as commercial growers that you just can't find out in the open market. We package the same seeds. We do not save seeds. We purchase seeds. We buy extra and package them for you. They have their true name on them of what their have you know their born into the world name is. Um, and but at, in the home gardener's size, like exactly, how many, exactly. I mean, fifty seeds per it pack depends. or whatever. It just depends on the seed because seeds cause different things. Yeah. Some packages have a hundred seeds. Some have ten. Some of the new hybridized that are pricier. peach, coxcomb, you know that you can't live without. There's only ten seeds in there because they cost a fortune. Um, we put row cover netting the hose that we use, flower arranging, flower frogs, the things that go along with what we do. And um, so we have an online garden shop, and then we go and lecture. I go and lecture. My sister comes with me, and we set up our kiosks and um, offer a percentage, a small percentage to the clubs to help them cover the cost of having us come to a program. And that is so it's really brilliant. A lot of, it's a lot of fun. And what it allows us to not, I mean, to leave your business for a day even you have to charge to go speak. I mean, and my sister, whoever comes with you is an employee that's getting paid. So why would I come and speak to your group and let it cost me money? Right. So right. by covering my expenses with a program fee and then having a cop key of the kiosk, which provides the benefit to me, um, and it works out great because I will tell you, garden clubs, master gardeners, all those groups, um, really, they, really. They want these goodies. Right, and we go everywhere. I mean, I'm going to Knoxville, Tennessee, to the museum. There's the Garden Club of Knoxville um, in November, and, um, you know, we're, they wanted us to come and bring our kiosk. So we're driving eight hours each way and going and doing a— two programs for them. And um, so it's, yeah, it gives clubs an option to have a bigger, funner event. It's a lot of fun. Well, you've been selling your self-published book. and Since uh, 11, 2011. And that's called? The Easy Cut Flower Garden. And okay. it's all about how the home gardener can have a three by 10 garden that'll produce one to two bouquets a week all summer long when you treat it like a cutting garden. That's the secret. So it's a real basic guide. It's only 100 pages, full color, and it's people everywhere. I get notes all the time of how people just are just pumping out so many flowers from that little flower bed. Um, That's you, brilliant. I have that book, and I had it before I knew who you were. So it's really fun yeah, to fun yeah. to hear the rationale behind it. Yeah. It's um, 
You're, that wasn't written for the commercial cut flower. No, bar. not okay. at all. And um, it was a spinoff of my most popular program, which is called Growing Your Own Bouquets. And everybody, you know, was like, is that not in writing somewhere? So we put it in writing. And that, in the beginning, we actually made two three-by-ten beds. But, of course, we plant and practice everything before we offer it to people. <laughs> So I can still remember my sister looking up at me in the middle of July. We had planted two three-by-ten beds, thinking that's what the book needed to be. Right. Cutting July. And, of course, this, these little beds got cut last after the cash crop, so we're <laughs> dead tired. She looked up at me and said, who in their right mind would need two three-by-ten beds? <laughs> What's your sister's name? Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> she said, we only need one bed. So that's why we sell seed collections. Our, we put together a little design and some seeds um, on our website. You can find them of different color combos, and it's all about the three-by-ten garden. And even though... There are people that look at that and think, oh, no, that's not big enough for me. That's the death of a cutting garden because then all of a sudden they have more flowers than they need. They stop cutting it clean every week, and then the garden stops to produce, stops right. producing. That's the, that's the, that's the key problem, the right. death of a cutting garden. And a vegetable and an herb garden, people stop. You don't, Harvesting. You don't harvest when you need it. You have to harvest on a regular basis. We recommend twice a week. So that little book you've already been selling, and now you're going to have cool flowers Correct. to sell. So hopefully that will yeah. introduce a whole other concept yeah. for... Um, and there's also a 3 by 10 garden in there of cool... of Awesome, yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so you had said to me when I talked to you last night that your mission is to inspire people to yeah. garden more. And yeah. restate it in your own words. Well... I mean, I just feel like people shared with me. I am truly empowered. Um, once I started speaking, I learned, A, people were really interested in this. My, I tend to simplify things and make it a little black and white and get rid of the smoke. Mm-hmm. And um, people were really eager for that. But And then I also learned that that is my greatest gift, is really sharing with people um, how simple it really is. I think... A lot of um, information is so clogged up with words and getting in depth and, you know, just Science let, it, and let research, it go. Yeah. And yeah, and I don't claim to know. I am an uneducated person. You're I a self-taught I'm a self-taught farmer. farmer, practical application. I learn by fire. You know, you just step in and do it. And um, that is good and it's bad too. But, you know, we've just, um, we've really, really learned a lot. And I feel like we've not... reached our plateau, but now I'm able to stand over and figure out what we really love to do. And it's the teaching and speaking and empowering people and seed starting. I mean, that's one of another thing we teach is seed starting because I'm telling you, I struggled until I read Elliot Coleman's book, the small, I can't, I should know the name of it, but I can't. We'll but put the Google link Elliot, Elliot Coleman's book, and uh, we actually sell it on our website, so you can find it. But it really explained how an organic garden farm works, the whole system, and how to start, and the best ways to do it. And that's where I learned soil blocking, the English way to start seeds. And that's what really doesn't take much space. In a five-by-seven tray, you can fit 40 soil blocks. That's like a plug tray equivalent. That's like a block of butter or something. Yes. And I mean, so that means a home gardener, instead of consuming your home. Anyway, that's on our website too. You can check it out. That's a very popular. You um, said that's one of your most popular items. Yes. We sell kits. In the kiosk. Because there's a DVD of me taking you through the whole thing. And and so we, um, 
that's a really important step because when you are a seed starter, it opens the world to what you can grow, how you can grow. You can grow at the proper times. If you're organic, it's the best way to go. You don't have to worry about what's happened to your, I mean, you know, the rumblings this spring of some of the or- plants being sprayed with pesticides that people weren't aware of that were for sale at big box stores and things. You know, you just don't know. Yeah. So there is a way to know. Do it yourself. Well, I'm so inspired that I got to meet you and that we didn't plan this podcast until 24 hours ago. So <laughs> I'm so glad that you're willing to sit down and talk about your your business, your philosophy, your flowers, your books. And uh, I'm just hoping that everyone else will get on your website, see what you're doing and buy this book, Cool Flowers. Thanks so much, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. A postscript about my guest and an invitation. Lisa has a new book coming out in February 2024 called The Cut Flower Handbook. You can sign up for news about its publication at her website, and we'll add the link to the show notes for episode 621 at soulflowerspodcast.com. Here's a little bit more about her book. The handbook includes 40 cool season and 20 warm season flowers to grow and harvest. In the book, Lisa shares how she grows and harvests annual cut flowers and the varieties that have become her tried and true favorites. Learn when to plant cool season and warm season flowers in your garden and how garden size alone can help lead to the success or failure of your cutting garden. Get the streamlined steps on preparing, locating, and maintaining your cutting garden. And Lisa shares how she starts seeds, including soil blocking, plug trays, and planting seeds in the garden. Learn why and how she selects the best starting methods for a specific flower seed and growing conditions. Over half of the book is designated to featured flowers or flower groups, including growing facts, firsthand experience, tips for home gardeners and flower farmers, harvesting and conditioning steps, and favorite varieties. I'll be hosting Lisa on Instagram Live today, August 2nd, for a fun conversation, so check it out on Instagram at Soulflower Society, and you'll find all of my Soulflower's podcast's 10th anniversary live chats in the archives there. Our next sponsor, thank you, goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. One more note, news of the week. We just dropped the August Slow Flowers newsletter yesterday, and you'll want to check it out for all of our updates, inspiring content, and free resources that we've packaged for you. There's lots more details in that newsletter about a special Slow Flowers presentation coming to Seattle on Friday, September 29th, with famed British sustainable floral designer Shane Connolly who will give an illustrated lecture and design demonstration followed by a book signing. This is his only West Coast appearance in North America in 2023. And the tickets are just $45. Link to order 
And find more details are in the newsletter and in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. I love all this floral goodness, and I am so happy you joined me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it, too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one base at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.